So what time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. So welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Uh, we open every one of these with a word of prayer, and Chaplain Lee's in the house. Come on, everyone, stand to your feet. All right. Father, we thank you today for everything you've done, everything you're doing, but most of all for what you're about to do. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor because you are an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to begin this journey through the 12 steps here at uh, New Freedom at the PON. And we know, God, that you're in it, and without you, we are nothing. We're coming today to just admit to some of the things that have been holding us back, some, something that makes us powerless. But we know, Lord, that our lives have been completely unmanageable, and we need you. So we thank you for using your manservant to begin this, this journey on today and on these weeks with step one. And we give you the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, chap. Well, we're a little light tonight. Good deal. So who, who's here for the first time tonight? Anybody? Very good. Now, first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. So what we do here is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Yes? So what we do at this particular group is just, I'm going to try and show you how I find my experience in the book, and I'm going to encourage you to have your experience with the book, and if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. Fair enough? How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that does happen? So by their show of hands, they're just telling you, in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're speaking of a sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without, <laughs> without giving you a demonstration of the power. So tonight we're in step one. You know what we need to do? I, I'm neglecting all the people that are watching us from ADCRR around the state and all the people in the county. If you all would give them a shout out, everyone on the tablets. <laughs> We got, we got a home for you, you men and women, when you're ready to come out. Just want you to know that by their enthusiasm, we're, we're making a way for you. Um, so we're going to start in step one, and what I will warn you in advance is that you're liable to experience some highs and some lows, the step one experience. One thing you got to understand is the, the admission of powerlessness is not a conceptual thing, it's a... It's a admission of an experience that is often difficult, right? So we're going to we'll probably evoke some emotion. 
and, and I just want everyone to understand that. It's gonna, we, we will not experience powerlessness and unmanageability without it evoking something in us. Does that make sense? And if it doesn't, then we've missed something or we've blocked something. So we're just we're going to walk through it and see how it goes. So the reason we do the, the meeting the way we do the meeting is a lot of times over the years people have sort of misquoted or made stuff up and we like to show people what the authors really said and what the manner of living is based on, the experience it's based on. So I like to turn people to the, the title page first so they understand, although we call it the big book, what it's really called is Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So they're talking to us of the experience of the first several thousand men and women who recovered from alcoholism. They, they didn't misspeak, that's the title. They're telling us that this is their testimony. And then I'm gonna to go to the forward to the first edition and they'll tell you who the we is that's telling us this story of the first several thousand. Fair enough? Yeah. So on the forward to the first edition, it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of the book. So they've told you right there, number one, who the we is. Who's the we? The first 100 detailing their experience of witnessing the first several thousand, and they wrote this book to show others, not tell others, show others precisely how they recovered. Does that make sense? They use the words they mean, they mean the words they say. So someone had to show me out of this text, call to my attention the sensory experience of the spirit coming alive in me, tell me that's the power we call God. They walked me through it. Did any of you have someone guide you through and show you how to experience this book? The book was always intended to be experienced, not read, and you'll find if you just get a copy, you won't be able to read it until someone shows you how. That's why they always hand you a book and say read it, and then you realize that you really are not internalizing it until someone shows you what you're reading about. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to jump from there, so we know who the first 100 are, we know who the we are. Um, I want to jump to the doctor's opinion right away, and I want to go through the doctor's original letter first, and then into his expanded text, and we'll see if we can come up with some information that will be useful to us, huh? So the doctor is Dr. William Silkworth, he was a doctor around the turn of the last century who treating people coming back from World War I came up with a theory that people's addictive disorder may be more than just a mental issue, it may be more than a moral failing, there may be a physical component, right? And so he's, he's going to detail in here why he thinks that and he's, as a medical person how many of you sought medical people somewhere along the way in your... Okay, so, so we often go to find, get a medical opinion because we're behaving in ways that are concerning. 
So I'm going to go through the letter. It says, to whom it may concern, I've specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. Now, you've got to understand that this guy, when he tells you that, there was no treatment for alcoholism in the formal sense back then. So this guy was operating in a theory, and he was running this hospital in New York. And Anyway, that all makes sense to you? Okay, so... In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. So this well-known treatment facility regarded this particular individual as hopeless. Do you know which individual they're talking about? Yeah, they're talking about Bill Wilson, the author of much of this test. Okay, so... In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. How many of you have had more than one go at recovery? A good percentage of you. Does it give you some comfort to know that Bill Wilson, who authored most of this, had a couple goes too? Because sometimes people aren't as understanding in our fellowships as they might should be with those of us that have a hard time grasping and developing at this manner of living. Okay. So as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics. So Bill right away, the doctor's telling the story of how Bill right away had this idea of how to replicate his own seemingly miraculous recovery by simply sharing his experience with others. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says... It says impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. Does that sound familiar to any of you? It is what we do here, Lance. Thanks for bringing that up. We, we, just, we just changed the word alcoholic with convict or inmate or felon. And we, we under that, that a convict properly armed with the facts about himself can generally win the confidence of another convict in a few hours or, right? And we know that, and so the whole model is based on people with lived experience showing a way out by helping people walk in dignity from wherever they came from, yeah? Okay, so this has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. You understand why we invite the families to come here and be with you? We, we were sick with them. We need them to come into wellness with us. Yes? Okay. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. How many of you have been to more than one treatment? So you might be one of those with which other methods have failed completely. Does it feel different now that you understand that the method here is about service to others and accessing power greater than ourselves because we're offering it to others. So these facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in this group. They may mark a new epoch in the annals of alcoholism. So the doctor saw way back then that the fact that the only way people could get well and stay well was to help other people get well and stay well, the growth potential was massive of redeemed people. How many of you felt that? Somebody felt that in here. Okay. 
So these men may well have the remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Think about a doctor saying that about someone they also said was hopeless just a short time ago, and now they're saying you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. So do you think that he is recognizing something, some change having come over these men and women? How many of you have recognized some change coming over men and women that you, we, we tend to, don't we? We don't always see it in ourselves right away, but we do see it in others. And one day we find ourselves admiring behavior we would have made fun of not so long ago. It's interesting, isn't it? All right, so I'm going to read now. The next section is on the authors of the book talking about the doctor's opinion because I don't know about the rest of you, but us alcoholics, us addicts, we generally have an opinion <laughs> on, general, on pretty much everyone else's opinion. So we want to see what their opinion is about the doctor's opinion. Does it make sense? Based on lived experience, an opinion on the medical opinion. The doctor is not an alcoholic. He just treats them. Okay. So the physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe. That sounds important, doesn't it? He confirms something that the alcoholic's experience told them had been baffling to them, but they... They had come to understand they needed to believe that. Are we, are we excited to learn what that might be? They're going to tell us. They just put a pause in there, so I'm, I'm trying to use a little theatric license and give you a pause. That's what that dash means. It means pause, Joe. So the, the dash, and then it says the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. You don't just have a thinking problem. You also have a bodily condition, if you're this guy, that makes it impossible for you to do that which we have tried to do, which is drink normally. Or use whatever normally. Does it make sense? Okay. And I don't even know what that is. That's how twisted I am. I don't know what normal... How does one... Slam heroin normally. We're going to need lessons. So it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. Did you have people tell you that you were crazy and you'd use it to your advantage from time to time? but you really didn't quite internalize that they're actually talking about a diagnosable condition. You're, you're acting quite insane. You, you'll realize that. How many of you made it to public detox on the way here? Ever, any of you? Did, you? did you notice down there at Community Bridges or wherever you went that there were a lot of people there you did not want to be like? Did anyone point out to you you were there as a patient and not an observer? So we suffer from this insanity that we don't recognize in ourselves. Is that true? Okay. So that's what they're talking about. So these things were true to some extent. In fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, 
but we're sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. So at this point, we've got to talk about what that physical factor is. The doctor, in his extended position here, when he gives his opinion, he's going to talk about this abnormal reaction, maybe a manifestation to an allergy. So what I need for, I need for those of you who were drinkers to let me know who you are. Who, who were drinkers? When you drank, did you find that alcohol energized you? Yes! <laughs> I don't want to talk you into it. You'll know if, if it did. If you, if you got up, if you found you drove better with a fifth in you. <laughs> Some of you started with pints, but if you kept at it, Sean, you worked up to fifths and then handles. Um, anyway... Yeah, I worked up the handles, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a sedative. So the fact that I have this reaction, that I'm energized by this sedative, it's an abnormal reaction. If I'm a medical person, I would describe that phenomenon as potentially being a manifestation of an allergy. Does that make sense? Where's my opiate addicts? Do you find that shit got you running again? Baffling, isn't it? They gave you a little Dilata at the hospital. You're out in the smoking section in five minutes, unplugged your IVs. It's a fucking miracle. I know I got a bunch of opiate addicts in here tonight. I think they all relate. That's an abnormal reaction to such a powerful sedative. Does that make sense? Okay, so we got to believe that that's true and that's not going away. Okay. All right, so then it says, the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. It does interest us now, right, now that we may be part of that. Who did I miss? So I got, do I got meth addicts in the house? I got tweakers? Did y'all find that stuff calmed you down? Need I say more? I watched people slam meth and nod out just like I did with... Like, that's really weird. That's the last sleep they're going to have for seven fucking days, but there they went. Okay. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little, but as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. So as ex-problem whatever, does his explanation now make good sense? All right, so it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. I call that to your attention because that was how revelatory it was for these men and women. Okay? It says, though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So understand... If we trick you into this process, if we don't make the manner of living make sense to you, you cannot accept and move into a conscious relationship without consciously choosing to do so. So we're going to awaken the spirit in you, then we're going to tell you that that experience you're having can be approved upon culminating in an awakening 
which to the outside world will be a restoration to sanity, and you'll live a life that is exemplary as one redeemed. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm going to jump from there. I'm not going to get into all the doctor's opinion, but I want to go over to XXVIII, first paragraph, and the doctor's talking about this manifestation of an allergy. We'll dig into it just a little bit more, and then we'll go take a look at some other things, right? Because remember, this physical factor is what we must believe. Here's the reason why we must believe it. How many of you thought that you chose what you did, and you therefore were undeserving of people's respect and doesn't it make it a little bit easier to accept the healing that we're going to participate in if we know that I was born with this condition that predetermined that I was going to overuse where people around me would be able to use it and not have that same effect? It made a difference to people, so I just, I don't know if it does to you or not, but Okay, so says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. So what is the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics? Yeah, they put it in their body and they can't stop doing it. And they're still chasing that euphoric high that they remember from God knows when. Yep. Okay, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class. What class? Yeah, chronic alcoholic. And never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So how many in a never? Not even one. So have you ever put alcohol, methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin, have you ever put any of those things in your body and then found that you did more than you originally set out to do? People say that was the goal. But was it ever a surprise to you how much you did? Did you ever get to a place where you were setting limits for yourself and you exceeded your limits? Okay, so that never happens in the average temperate drinker. That doesn't mean that you are alcoholic necessarily. But it does mean that you are not temperate. or average. <laughs> so then it says these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Why do they say we can never safely use it? Yeah, how many of you say, well, that happens to me sometimes, but it doesn't happen to me every time? Who's that person? Okay, so I have one more question. Do you know which time? So did you ever really have control? Or was that the mind lion? Okay, so we're starting to get to see the nature of the alcoholic the addictive disorder, right? Is I lie to me and I don't know I'm lying. Okay, all right. So once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Have any of you had that experience? So then they start talking about how it is to approach us if, it's, if you're like me. It says, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. How many of you have had people beg you to stop? If you loved me, you'd stop. 
You know you're dying. Can't you stop? Any of you? Okay, so that doesn't work. Why? Because the one thing I knew in my active addiction is I was dying and not quick enough. And I wasn't terribly concerned with the fact that I was dying. What I would have really liked was a little bit of information on the when. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. So the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. So I'm going to have to talk to them about facts. And I'm going to have to show up empowered with something other than some silly idea. Yes? If you hang around our fellowships, you'll get the sense sometimes that it's all about choice. Don't pick up no matter what. Sounds like a great theory until you're me and you pick up no matter what. Like, I'm going to be picking up while you're talking to me. Not because I want to, but because that train was already running down the rails. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. Now that may make some of you nervous, but the power to recreate your life is a real sensory power found within you. And if we do not activate that in you, your, op your options get severely limited. So we're, here to, we're not here to get you abstinent, we're here to get you awake. Does it, does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, I'm going to jump down to the bottom of that page. It says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. So how many of you find that as an apt description? Is that why you use, because you like the effect produced? Or the memory of the effect produced? We don't like all the effects produced, right? <laughs> okay, but the point is, that's why everybody does that, right? Men and women do that. So then they talk about the experience. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. So how many of you lied to you? How many of you said it'll be different when you knew it wasn't going to be different? How many of you knew it was going to suck while you did it? How many of you, after it was already done, tried to convince yourself you chose it? A lot of people do that. People will tell you that's a choice you make. Uh-uh, you cannot make a choice with an unsound mind. The insanity of the first drink. I'm certifiably insane before I put it in my body with the lived experience I have. Does that make sense? Okay. So, tells us a little bit about our symptomology. It says, to them, their, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. How many of you are sober in here tonight? Oh, good, a high percentage of you. That's a good start. That's a good start. Um, how many of you can bring to consciousness right now that sense of ease and comfort they're talking about? Absolutely. I'm feeling some of you do it. It's a little spooky, because I guarantee you, some of you have probably been sober a minute. And we can't really bring to mind, bring to consciousness the pain and suffering, but we can 
bring to consciousness that ease and comfort, can't we? So that's the conundrum. I'm always going to be seeking ease and comfort, and that illusion's always there, luring me out to the spirits. Okay. All right. So then it says, after they've succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops. So once I succumb to the desire, the obsession, then the alcohol takes over, and then it's Katie bar the door. Or whatever I'm putting in my body. Does that make sense? But it's already too late because someone missed my restlessness, irritability, and discontent. And who's responsible for my restlessness, irritability, and discontent? I'm me and God, right? <laughs> when I'm that guy, I'm supposed to be checking in. Okay. All right, I'm going to jump from there to... Let's see what I want to do. I'm going to go past Bill's story today. I haven't done that in a minute. I want to go to page... Mm, I think I want to go to page 21. Let's do a little more self-diagnosis and see if we relate to anything they're saying. So... We're going to start where it says, what about the real alcoholic? We, we already figured out that if we'd ever had that happen to us, we were not average temperate. But we do not know yet whether or not we're alcoholic or addict of the hopeless variety. Does that make sense? So what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. Now they're telling us about something interesting. How many of you started out okay and you did things okay for a while and built a life and then it took on more serious proportions. Okay. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. How many of you, although when you were drinking or using it got more intense, you would go long periods of time between bouts? Yeah? But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So it doesn't matter whether you... How many of you just started off ripping and running and everyone knew it was bad from the... Okay, so we're not talking to you. We're just talking to everyone else that stumbles in and hears our stories. And so I get that. See, I was hospitalized for the first time for alcohol overdose at the age of 10. So I never took an average temperate drink. I don't even know what that looks like. But that doesn't mean other people can't get every bit as depraved as I got and have a very different lived experience. So we're going to talk to everybody. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's always going to be about the loss of control once we start, regardless of what your lived experience to get there is. Okay. So now they're going to help us self-diagnose. And they're going to do this in on purpose in third person because it's less assaultive on the ego. This book was divinely inspired, whether anyone wants to believe it or not. He would wake up in the middle of the night and scribble down what he wanted to write, and then they would flesh it out with all the first 100 to make sure they got every word right. And so they wrote it the way they meant it, and they wrote it the way it's supposed to be presented, not changed because somebody's ego tells you to change it. This way it's less assaultive. So it says, here's the fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. How many of you were puzzled with your lack of control, but didn't want to tell anyone because, shh. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? 
How many of you saw it quite clearly in others? <laughs> At least I'm not that bad yet. So they wrote the book so that we could learn as we grow in consciousness that all I'm ever seeing out there is through the lens of my thoughts. So when I'm looking at them and saying I'm not that bad, I don't know that that's true. I'm, does it make sense? I'm just looking at the reflection of me back at me. Okay, so it says, especially, here's the fellow who's been fuzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. Can you think of any? How many of you did absurd things? Where's my guys that just got out at the stoplight and peed, because that would be funny. How many of you hurt people while you were driving inebriated? Tragic. How many of you went to prison behind drug use and tragic, right? Okay. Um, so they're going to talk to he's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you experience a personality change while using? So they're going to talk to us a little more. He's seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. So how many of you can conjure an image of mildly intoxicated versus insanely drunk? And when you could see somebody slobbering and laying and feces down his leg, you know that's insane, right? How many of you got a blood alcohol and you were like three, four? Medically, you should be dead. It, they get worried about us when we go that high, huh? <laughs> Come in on a stretcher. How many of you navigated like that wasn't happening? Absolutely. That's more or less insanely drunk from a medical perspective, but because I'm living it, I don't even know it. Does it make sense? Where's, where's my cocaine addict, speed addict? I got buddies who the dope man wouldn't sell them any more cocaine even though they had money because they knew he was going to fucking die in the trap house. Any of you relate to that? Well, you just go away, yeah. Um, his disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. So... Did your disposition resemble your normal nature when you were using, or were people able to tell that you were a little off? Did you notice that your restlessness and irritability and discontent you were medicating really didn't go away, that you were still a little sharp? How many of you know what your normal nature is? How many of you did not know what your normal nature was? So somebody that's got some experience in the process, I saw hands on both sides. The normal human nature, to give you some balance, is, is more childlike than childish. You should be able to play honestly. You should be able to be serious at appropriate times. Does it make sense? And, and we don't know that when we're in addictive disorder because we don't know that. Yeah? Okay. All right, so he may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. Any of you go through that experience? 
Anyone ever have to come pull you out of the house where you've been sitting in your own filth for days? And Yeah, okay. All right, so he has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. Any of you ever missed something important because... Okay, yeah. He's often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. Did you get to a place where you went from bragging about how much you used to lying about how much you used without really knowing the transition? Does that make sense? Because that's usually the path we take, right? Okay. So he often possesses special skills and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, and then he pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. How many of you have done that? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. We do it over and over, don't we? Okay. Here's the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around, Yet early the next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. Any of you guys that are drinkers, were you hiders? Drinkers are hiders. Not everybody knows that about us drinkers. You meth addicts, you're hiders too. (laughs) We cut your... We try and check you in, we got to check your seams, everything. Get that shit everywhere. Um, If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. Any of you relate to that in drug addiction or in alcoholism, hiding it around the house? How many of you couldn't find it after? (laughs) Couldn't remember whether you'd remembered it in the middle of the night and finished it or... Okay. All right, so I'm going to jump from there... Uh, because we've sort of got to look at what they say the real alcoholic is, and if you relate roughly to any of that, it's, it's looking like you may want to read further in the book. Does it make sense? Um, so I'm over on page 23, and, well, let me start at the bottom of 22. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. Is that true? Did you start doing, when you got off the stuff, did you start doing sort of normal things? Okay. So we're equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which make it virtually impossible for him to stop. How many of you have had that happen? Thought, what, the harm, or didn't give it any thought, but then once it was off, it was really off. Even if you thought you had it under control, a couple days later, the obsession is so great, you're doing it again, and it got progressive. Any of you? Okay. So the reason I wanted to go that far is they're going to say something profound here. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. So now if you related to them, now you better take seriously your condition. Because if you're relating to that experience, these guys were the real deal. Right? Okay. So here's what they have to say to us. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. So we often hear people in fellowship saying, I figured out the secret. If I don't drink, I can't get drunk. You ever heard that? It's fucking brilliant, isn't it? 
but that would assume that I don't have addictive disorder. And the thing I need everyone to understand when you make it to our rooms, you got something going on, because we don't come here looking for a vacation. Okay, so, so it, says, it says, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are that he'll offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Some of these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. Did you have explanations for why you used? Did they make sense in light of what ended up happening because you started again? So all we're looking at, we're just starting to check the lens of our own thinking. Does it make sense? We're just asking you to check your thoughts. If I, I, I just can't take it. I feel so bad that I'm not being a good parent. I'm not being a good son to my parents. I just need a drink. And then I go away for fucking 10 years and ain't nobody <laughs> took care of that little problem, didn't I? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Well, it is tragic and it's flawed thinking, but most of us have had some experience with it. Okay. So it says, they sound like the philosophy of a man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. How many of you laughed? How many of you thought, what a stupid example? Okay, here's what it says. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. So it does not hit void. You get, you get honest with the experience it produced in you. It did one or the other. I'm either running from it or I'm running to it. Does that make sense? We're fishing right now. You're, you're hoping to catch alcoholism because we have a solution. You're not an alcoholic because you drink. I'm going to show you that tonight. A lot of people, I had a guy in here the other day and they said, why do they still say I'm an alcoholic at a meeting? You want me to tell you why? Same reason Levi, the tax collector, tells you he's a tax collector and an apostle. You know why? Because tax collectors don't go out ministering to the world. That's a miracle. And so they'll tell you in here that when I became alcoholic, crushed by a self-imposed crisis I could not postpone or evade, I had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God was everything or he was nothing. So I don't even admit to alcoholism until I'm admitting to having discovered a redeemer. And then I'm not witnessing to my condition, I'm witnessing to his redemption. His power, his love, his way of life. None of it me. That guy died. Does that make sense? See, they, people don't understand when they see me talking, they're watching a dead man talking because the spirit man in him talks through him. Okay. All right, so um, says once in a while he may tell the truth, and the truth, strange to say, is usually he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Tell me in your experience, did you have somebody demanding to know why you're off running again? And you really didn't know, and then they started yelling, yes, you do. 
You ever have that happen to you? So pretty soon we're just throwing something out just to shut them up, right? Why'd you do that? I don't know, man. I went out to get cigarettes, ended up in Mexico. I don't... That's the kind of shit that happens to me. Unfortunate circumstances. Um, so it says, some drinkers have excuses with which they're satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts they really do not know why they do it. So they're now taking, getting us to go to consciousness, the experience of the battle within. Please go with them. I can give excuses sometimes that have a certain plausibility, but in my heart I know that's not what's up. Start paying attention to that because you're, that's what the battle feels like. And when you go to help people, you'll know when they're in that battle and you can call their attention to it. Because when it happens, we got the signature of the spirit. All we got to do is tune in. We'll know what's up. That's why I'm going to improve consciousness. So when, when you're stuck, I ain't stuck. I know the one's going to unstick you. So we're going to talk about where we really are versus where you think you are. Okay? All right. So once this malady has a... A real hold, they are a baffled lot. There's an obsession that somehow someday they will beat the game, but they often suspect they're down for the count. How many of you went through that? I'm going to quit. December. That way I got a shot at making it home for Christmas. How many of you had a sobriety date, and then that faded, and you thought you'd just pick one that was a little more... Did you often suspect that wasn't a good plan? So it says, how true this is, few realize in a vague way their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal. Anyone uh, watch your behavior and sort of fear that you were abnormal but didn't really want to voice it? But everybody ho hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth is that if a man be a real alcoholic, now remember we went through what a real alcoholic is, so I'm making it up, they seldom mildly intoxicated, always more or less insanely drunk, real Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, tragic, all that stuff, that's how we're getting to the point where I might be a real one, not a temperate one, okay? All right, so the tragic truth is that the man be a real alcoholic, that happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. Have any of you ever lost anything? Notice how they did not say misplaced. When you have lost something, do you get it back? No, you might get something like it back. Have you ever dropped your cell phone in the ocean? Have you ever dropped your watch in the ocean? I suggest to you, you've lost that. You may get something like it, but it won't be that. Does that make sense? Just trying to get you to go with me about the experience they're talking to us about. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. The tragic this tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it's suspected. How many of you beat yourself up for years and years because you kept doing it again even though you knew you didn't want to do it again, you told people you weren't going to do it again, and then you did it again and you kept thinking that you had the control, you had the will to do that? 
And you probably had plenty of people telling you you should do that too, right? So what they're saying is that ship has sailed if we're the real deal. We have lost control. Okay. So now they've got something in italics they want us to pay attention to. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. I cannot, as an alcoholic, choose to use or to not use. I can use, but it's not a choice, because it's an insane thing, and you don't make a choice with an unsound mind. Does that make sense? It's not a moral question. I'm talking about a medical diagnosis. I'm, it's incapable. My mind is incapable of stopping me once that cycle's in motion. Okay, so our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We're unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. So my defense would be to bring to consciousness the humiliation, the suffering of not that long ago, or in my case, a long time ago now. But, but, but the fact of the matter is, I have always been defended from bringing that up. What I always could bring up is the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So they're telling us that's coming. And they're telling me it isn't about memory anyway, it's about consciousness. They're separating the idea of memory from consciousness, the awareness of being aware. Are you, are you following me? So remembering it isn't sufficient anyway. How many of you had much memory of suffering and humiliation, ended up spun again, no real explanation why, consequences coming because you're spun again, but yet here I am spun again, seemingly with absolutely no way to stop it. Anybody? Okay, so that's, that's what they're telling us is their experience too. The reason we want to read it a little further is they tell us of the redemption that's coming once we admit to that personal brokenness. Fully concede to our innermost selves. We're going to talk about that, right? Okay, so... I'm going to jump from there. Let's go to 25 just for a minute because it tells us there is a solution. We walked through all that, said so there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. So no one is saying to you that you're gonna look at our steps on the wall or hear anyone describe them and you're gonna like it because almost none of us do like the process. But the process is not the power. The process is simply the process. All of us, to a man and a woman, introduced to the power like the power. And the process reveals the power to us through us. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, but we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of living life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved... There was nothing less left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which, many, of which we had not even dreamed. So when they talk about getting rocketed, how many of you want to, where's my math addicts? Y'all like rockets. So rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. 
I, I saw a whole take on a comedian that got on a, on a meth run and someone taught her about drinking urine. And so she talked about her experience of drinking urine and thought she'd manufactured a gold mine. And it all made perfectly logical sense to me. Okay, so the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. So I'm not going to read all the rest of that, but what I want you to see is they didn't remain hopeless and futile, and they didn't remain abstinent all the time. They had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which they, this new manner of living sought to improve consciousness, the awareness of being aware of that presence in and on them. Does that make sense? And the one way to be absolutely certain that the presence is, actually, is stronger on me is when I'm offering that to you. I'll always get more power than I need when I'm offering it to you. Does that make sense? All right, so I want to go from there to the chapter more about alcoholism. I'm in chapter 3, and it says, Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. Did we get any of that? Do we understand the real the real alcoholic versus the hard drinker and all those things, because I didn't break all that down, but you get some of that? Okay. Did some of you have a little trouble coming to terms with maybe your chemical use was causing some complexities you could do better without? Not everybody acknowledges that their substance use is the reason for troubles, and maybe it isn't. But if I'm take that piece out, am I as likely or less likely to find myself in some of those compromised positions? Okay. Like, I have never pulled over a cop except when I was really drunk and thought it was unsafe <laughs> for me to drive. It would never come to my consciousness to pull over a cop when I wasn't so inebriated I thought I was unsafe. Yes, I did that. I, I asked for an escort, and I got one. Um, no person likes to think he's bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. So when they say countless vain attempts, you don't want to try and count them, but were they vain attempts? Did you know the outcome before you started that it wasn't going to go well? Okay. So it says the idea that some, somehow, someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. You got to get, they're, they're very analytical there so that we can look at that. They said control and enjoy. There were times I could control how much I put in my body, but I did not enjoy it. When I enjoyed it, no control. But I would hold in my head the idea that one time I controlled it and therefore I just need to loosen the tether just a little and it'll be, I'll have the better living through chemistry experience I saw it. Anybody with me? If you have the right amount of Xanax and, okay. So that's the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Then it says, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. 
Many of us pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And now that you're not using out drugs or alcohol, you still have the disorder if you're this person. So once you're not drinking, change the word to thinking. The idea that he or she will control and enjoy his or her thinking is the great obsession of every abnormal thinker. Are you sometimes disturbed by your thoughts? Do you sometimes act out badly because of your thoughts? Do you sometimes get self-condemning because of your thoughts? So what we're not going to learn to do is control our thoughts. We're going to learn how to discern our thoughts. We're going to take captive every thought, and we're going to put it under our feet if it isn't serving my brother. Does that make sense? Okay, starting to sound like something that might work. All right. So here's what we're going to finish with this. It says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. That means crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I cannot postpone or evade. Fearlessly facing the proposition that either God is everything or he's nothing. Does that make sense? And then by, otherwise I'm just a hard drinker, dry at the moment, or I'm whatever. Because what difference does it make if I don't recognize the seriousness of my condition? But if I know the seriousness of my condition and that which I've been redeemed from, then I owe the life I'm living to the one who gave it to me. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. I want everyone to read that and let it sink in because that's what we're going to close on tonight. For years, I've walked into recovery rooms, and they would have the steps on the wall, and what did they say the first step in recovery was? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives would become unmanageable. But the authors are telling us by more about alcoholism that the first step of recovery is that we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. So are there two first steps? No, the instructions are on the wall, and the experience is in the book. Does that make sense? And if someone doesn't help you see it, who's feeling that? I can feel you guys feeling all over the room. So, Chap gave a sermon a couple weeks ago. We touched on it again. The prodigal, eating with the hogs, came to himself. Fully conceded to his innermost self. That the servants in my father's house are eating better than I with these swine. So he went home. So we're asking you to wake up and come home. See you next week. <laughs>